0: Today is Sunday, September 15th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 332 featuring SB Nation NBA writer Michael Pina is brought to you by BenOnline.ag. Hey, welcome into another edition of Celtics Beat, and uh, you know, I was just thinking to myself, I, I really appreciate all of you who listen to this podcast, and, and we're fortunate to have thousands of you every single week, but I'm especially thankful to those of you who listen right now in the off season, and I don't mean June, July, when all the trades and free agency, I mean... August, September, when there's just, there's nothing happening, and it feels a little manufactured some of the time, or you're reacting to the various reports, but we try here anyway on Celtics Beat to make you think a little bit, or at least, if nothing else, give you a 45-minute or so break from the rest of your lives. So, hope you're having a good weekend, welcome in, and I promise the season not too far away with that Adam Kaufman with you and it's good to be back with you and as usual I'm I'm not alone in fact we have a first timer on this show at least by my memory SB nations NBA writer part of the CLNS family as well a co-host of the winning plays podcast his name was Michael Pina what's up man how are you not too much Adam how are you ah, hanging in like I said it's this is it's just the these are the doldrums of the NBA season and it you know it wasn't that way a couple years ago when Danny Ainge made the August trade for Kyrie Irving, and we were still, at this point in time, reacting and obsessed with that. And hell, for all I remember, they were still working out that compensation with Cleveland for that final useless second-round pick or whatever it was. But this year, save for the World Cup, and we'll get to that in a second, it's just been, you know, there, there was all the run-up at the beginning and a lot of big players changing teams, and over the last month or two, I don't know, month and a half, whatever it's been. This is really it's well, it's I guess it's been an NBA guy's dream who who covers the league because it's just been the perfect time to take a vacation.
1: I'm exactly, you you nailed it on the head. It's an absolute dream. I'm I'm really treasuring as <laughs> as, as as much as I'm anticipating and excited for the season to begin, I'm really treasuring the the, the last few remaining days um and the last uh, past few weeks have just been beautiful.
0: When does life get nuts for you? Just training camps and everything. I mean, probably tomorrow. I don't know. <laughs> um, it could end at any second. To be
1: honest, um, I haven't really dug too deeply into uh, Team USA, which I know we're gonna we're gonna touch on a little bit. But uh, that has been, you know, the attention of the NBA and the basketball world. And uh, yeah, training camps are right around the corner, and before you know it, we'll be in preseason, and then the big ones start.
0: Well, and God love the people that have been getting up at, you know, for these four, five, six, seven a.m. games on work days in some cases, weekends in other cases. It's just been you have to adjust yourself, obviously. So there's, there's the benefit of seeing early morning basketball. There's the downside of seeing the way it was. And let's talk about Team USA because it, it wasn't, in fairness, a star-studded roster. But I think you just, you hear international play, Team USA, NBA players, you just, you assume gold medal. where that's, that is just the expectation. And when Kemba Walker, all due respect, and of course we're excited, new Celtics star, when he's the best guy the Americans had, that's probably going to tell you something. And this squad also dealt with some injuries. Jason Tatum goes down early, doesn't return. Marcus Smart was in and out of the lineup, dealt with a, a variety of injuries. He's, he's continues to be the the bionic man, but this team really, it, it kind of pooped the bed in China. You know, 58 straight international wins with NBA players, three straight World Cup titles, eliminated by France, and by the way, on the anniversary of 9-11, no less, just a, if ever there was a day that you need something patriotic to happen, you would think, Team USA, and then, well, that doesn't happen. And consecutive losses for the first time since 02 You know, the U.S. couldn't even finish in the top six in this tournament, it's an embarrassment. It should be viewed as an embarrassment. But here's really what I'm wondering from you, from anyone listening, just to NBA fans in general. Do you care? Do you care that we, America, did not medal or, for that matter, win gold for the first time in 13 years? Does it bug you at all? No, not really. Uh, See, I mean, I'm the same way. I just, but, I don't. I'd like to, but I don't.
1: Yeah, I mean, we sent over the, the D squad, I guess. Like the C team, you know, not quality players. I think there's one All-NBA player on the team uh, in Kemba. And, um, I mean, I look at it more as a celebration of just the growth of basketball around the world. I mean, you look at a team like Serbia that that was upset the other day, but just the talent on that team. um, You know, we lost to France. Uh, Spain, Marcus Gasol had a ridiculous performance. So that type of stuff is is really fun to to see, I think. And obviously, you know, if Team USA brought, you know, two or three more All-Stars, they would have won this thing, but they didn't.
0: On that note, I mean, USA Basketball's managing director, Jerry Colangelo, said when time comes to start assembling the 2020 Tokyo Olympics roster, he's not going to forget the guys who backed out of their commitments to play this summer. Of the 35 players originally selected to play only four of them went to china but to me it just sort of feels like a, a heat of the moment kind of thing you know if, if those guys you know the the lebron james of the world and and these superstar players who decided not to participate in the world cup because they were holding out for the olympics or to focus on the upcoming season or whatever the reason if they're willing to play next summer i can't imagine that colangelo greg popovich and everybody else involved is not going to welcome them with open arms that would be uh, pretty petty, I would say. <laughs> I, I don't foresee that happening either. Right. So, as you look at it, you know, you react a little bit to to some of these games that that you saw. Does it? I don't know. Did Did you feel any certain way watching these games beyond as you said? You You took the glasses is half full approach to saying, "Hey, all right, well, sucks for the NBA players on on the American team, but." This is really good for, for the world's parity, for the growth of basketball. Is that going to be everyone's or should it be everyone's takeaway from this tournament when, when all is said and done? That's kind of the takeaway that you're, uh, in my opinion, that or at least for me, that I've, I'm kind of
1: forced to have. I obviously would uh, prefer Team USA to not you know finish in seventh or eighth or sixth place or wherever they'll end up. But that's not great. Um, but when you watch the team, like, you know, this team has Mason Plumlee on it, and hmm. I'm watching Derek White brick floater after floater, and, you know, Joe Harris is on the floor in crunch time of very important games. Like, I I just, you know, I can't get too emotionally invested, honestly, and I guess that's not really a great thing for uh, for the competition and, and for growing FIBA World Cup as a... Institution, which I know that the league would like to happen. Um, You know, you want the best talent and you want more fans. But I also think that, look, the time change, as you mentioned, you know, people getting up, you have to get up extremely early. If you live on the West Coast, like, forget about it. You're not going to watch these games. And then they're not even televised. So uh, it was just really difficult for me personally to get too, like, emotionally invested in this whole thing. And I don't really know if there's anything – uh, meaningful to gleam from, you know, I, I think they played like seven games. Um, you know, there's just, it's uh, it, it's kind of just like a bummer of an experience, and like a year from now, I'll for, probably forget it ever happened.
0: You know, I've heard a lot of people compare this loss to the Celtics because a third of the group belongs to Boston, or at least a, a third of the roster going into the tournament. And I think that's unfair, and I, I've gotten a lot of this on Twitter. You know, Jason Tatum, he didn't play after the second game. Kemba Walker only had... One dud, Marcus Smart didn't play every game. He dealt with multiple injuries, as I said before. And I get that people still want to complain after last year's frustration, and and really still not quite over it. It's why Kyrie Irving keeps coming up, and partially because he hasn't said a word since he's gotten to Brooklyn either. But feels like we're reaching, you know, when when the country's underachievement is suddenly a sign that the Celtics are going to suck.
1: uh Yeah, I don't really put any stock into that either. <laughs> um You know, yeah, as you said, you know, Tatum played two games. He was a complete non-factor. You know, Kemba led the team in scoring. And, you know, I thought he played pretty well in the tournament overall on both ends. Um, And, uh, you know, someone like Marcus Smart, you would have not, you know, if like go back, you know, two, three months ago. If you were to tell me that Marcus was even on the team, I would be pretty surprised. So... Uh, all that stuff is pretty. You know, I'm I'm fine with it. I really don't see a correlation to the NBA or, <laughs> uh, you know, patching together a bunch of guys who have never really played together and just sending them over to China and expecting them to romp through the tournament when there's all these other teams that you know with players who are so experienced and have so much time together. You know, you look at Argentina and what they did to Serbia. Like that's not a coincidence. I don't think that the chemistry on that team is real. So yeah, I don't really put too much stock in and I don't see a real comparison between the team USA's struggles and the Boston Celtics.
0: For Kemba, as you said, this team's leading scorer, he was the only all NBA player that was on the roster, was, you know, the de facto captain and, and really face of this team. There are a lot of great things for him that clearly individually he was incredibly honored by and proud of, and, and this will forever be a, a great experience for him. But as it translates to the next NBA season and a, a new situation, a new team, and, and all the different things he's looking to prove, and, and being in a winning environment, really, for the first reliable time in his career after all those down years in Charlotte, how beneficial do you think this was for him personally going into what he's about to have in Boston?
1: Uh, I think that the the primary... Uh takeaway for him is probably an ability to spend a lot of time with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart mm. and get to know those guys, get to know what they like, what they don't like, who they are as people. I mean, it's, if you've traveled with anyone, you know that you, know, you bond when you're on the road like that for as long as they were. Um, and, you know, I think that there's an underdog mentality also that uh, Team USA was able to kind of have in uh, the fact that there was a lot of guys who, you know, it was not the best of the best. I think, you know, th- th- other coaches from other countries were uh, deservedly talking uh, very confidently about their ability to beat Team USA. So, for Kemba, like, I mean, he pretty much did his job. There was that one dead performance, but otherwise I thought, again, that he played pretty well. And just getting to know... His teammates going forward. And, you know, I'm sure they talked a lot about, you know, what went wrong last season and what they can do to improve upon it going forward and, uh, you know, what his role needs to be. And again, just what their likes and their dislikes are and who they are as people. So I think that, you know, it was a, a if there was any takeaway, I would say that just even off the court, it was a learning experience
0: for him. I cracked earlier about the, manufactured storylines and that sort of thing especially this time of year but what the hell I'll give you one anyway that I'm really just thinking about based on on what you just said and and all the conversation that's that has been about those four guys getting to bond and be together and we've heard all of them talk about it I would love to hook those guys up to lie detectors or give them the truth serum or whatever and 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 know if they already feel closer just from this experience to Kemba Walker than they did to Kyrie Irving you know knowing that that Kyrie is such an odd duck. And obviously he had the Duke connection with Tatum, and, and they did some basketball camps together. But, uh, and it was, you know, an, an oil and water kind of situation with, with Jalen Brown. Seemingly they were really never on the same page. Marcus Smart has said that they were close, and, and Kyrie was always there for him. You know, his mom passed and, and everything involved with that on a personal level. So maybe it doesn't apply to all of those guys. But stroking this thing with a broad brush, I do wonder if, you know, just a couple months with Team USA and, and, and how much they huddled together and, and got to know each other in all the ways that you just outlined. I wonder if, if they already feel a little bit closer, a little bit more bonded than they did even with two years of Kyrie. Is, is that too much to, to suggest? I don't think so, just because, I mean, temperamentally, Kemba and
1: Kyrie are diametric opposites. Mm-hmm. Like, Kyrie is... He's almost unknowable, period. You could spend years on the same team with them, And if you're a different person every single day, dramatically, it's very difficult to come close, to learn about who this person is. And that is, by all accounts, how Kyrie Irving behaves on a day-to-day basis. So you, you kind of compare that with Kemba, who, I mean, I'm pretty sure he's won awards or, you know, best locker room guy, best teammate that are voted on by players around the league. So he's obviously a beloved figure. Uh, He's he's older. He's been in a very different situation throughout his career where he's had to carry really rough rosters uh, as far as he can. And, uh, you know, he has not had nationally televised, uh, you know, opportunities to showcase his game as Kyrie has. Uh, He has not played with someone like LeBron James ever. Uh, I think that this opportunity for him is is just completely different than everything that Kyrie went through. But, I mean, it is kind of crazy to say that, uh, you know, that Marcus and Jalen and Jason were able to know Kemba. Uh, more over the past you know month or two than you know spending a, an entire season on the road with Kyrie Irving, but I I think that there is some validity to that.
0: Yeah, I wonder if that's something that I don't know. Maybe we can will that into becoming a storyline at some point. I feel like that's something those guys should be asked about and and should be talked about a little bit as you know as as we sort of introduce it here. But uh, there was I'll get negative for a second. There was an interesting line in uh, a Brian Windhorst ESPN article, and and he of course covering Team USA in the tournament over the last weeks. And uh, he wrote this. It was curious that Greg Popovich didn't hold full practice for nearly two weeks, despite a number of players struggling with shooting. The extra work might have paid off. They never really bought into the ball movement offense Popovich tried to install in training camp, and it made them easier to guard. Now... That not buying in, I mean, that just takes Celtics fans into a bad place. It takes them into a time machine to last year and a a different star point guard who, of course, we mentioned. And and, uh, many of the same players, you know, with with four guys on that team and and three from last year's squad. Does that stand out as a concern to you at all, even though, of course, the, the situations are totally different?
1: Not really. Um, I mean, I did not read that entire piece, but just from hearing that line, it seems like and I've seen I've seen this a little bit on Twitter, too, that, you know, people are looking for a scapegoat um, and an explanation for why Team USA struggled. And I just think it's
0: it's simply that they did not have the best team. And, and
1: that you know, was pop- generally
0: the- Windhorse horse takeaway, too.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. And and so I don't think the expectation should have been necessarily that this team is going to roll through and dominate the tournament. And they did not. So I, I you know, I don't know traditionally uh, what the practice schedule is for a FIBA World Cup tournament or even an Olympic tournament. But um, again, these are you know, guys who have really never played together before. And, you know, with the way that, uh, you know, players were dropping just out of, of, you know, wanting to participate, I just think it must have been a very difficult thing for the coaching staff, for the players who were committed to it. Um, you know, De'Aaron Fox dropped out, like, very late in the whole process. And I don't know if he dropped out or if he was cut or what. You know, Kyle Kuzma, kind of same deal. So I just think that it was a really difficult uh, difficult process for everyone involved, and I, I don't know if it's worth diagnosing any further than that.
0: Well, one thing we can diagnose, not from a, a medical perspective, although it factors in, is you know Tatum and Smart, of course, go suffer injuries. And that hurt USA, but really scared the hell out of Celtics fans, arguably more importantly. And uh, d- does that concern you at all with training camp approaching the, the fact that those guys – at least right now, aren't quite right? Granted, they still have time.
1: Yeah, I expect uh, I expect Tatum to be back 100%. Uh, you know, there were reports that Marcus Smart could have played, but they just didn't want to risk further aggravation. Um, so I don't think these are serious things. And, you know, I, I, you know the way that Tatum... It's just kind of a basketball injury. Those happen all the time. You're running down the floor. You twist your ankle. um, And it really didn't – I mean, from the perspective of a Celtics fan, you don't really want to see him rush back after something like that. And it was good to see him kind of sit out the rest of the tournament. And it was good to see Marcus Smart be convinced that, you know, it's not worth his body to – to, uh, you know, throw it around in a game against Serbia and defend Nikola Jokic (laughs) or something (laughs) like that and and really take another pounding. So, I mean, I I think that they still have a little bit of uh, of time to rest up before training camp. And, I mean, by opening night, those two should be in tip-top
0: shape. One quick break today. Today's show is brought to you in part by betonline.ag. Football season finally here and betonline.ag is the only place you want to go to cash in on the gridiron this season. Bet on every spread, every money line, all the overs, all the unders, everything. Take a shot at who is going to win the Super Bowl. Patriots right now, they gotta be favorites in the minds of many, right? Plus four fifty after adding Antonio Brown. That feels like a pretty solid gamble if of course the guy sticks around and Josh Gordon sticks around. Yeah, you know, plenty of ifs. And of course you gotta keep your forty two year old quarterback healthy and all that. But look, as as we look at it right now after throttling the Steelers and getting ready to do that again in Miami against the Dolphins. Like I said, feels like a nice bet. Don't forget you can make custom player props as well at betonline.ag. Pick any player, any stat, during any game, BetOnline will give you a line for it. Get in on the action today with CLNS's sportsbook partner, betonline.ag, today. Get a 50% bonus on your first deposit of $55 or more. Use the promo code CLNS50 to qualify for the bonus. Again, that's CLNS50 at betonline.ag. Let's get back to Mike. Any big takeaways about any of the players, Celtics-wise, that did participate in this tournament? Either, you know, any of the four that we mentioned, or of course, Daniel Tice, Vincent Poirier on, on other teams? I think that the most positive takeaway was probably Jalen. I thought he
1: played really well. I thought he bought into his role, um, and uh, you know he he looks he looks bigger to me. He looks stronger. Uh, he was able to defend uh, guys who are traditionally larger than he is pretty well. Uh, you know, I just cracked a joke about Jokic. He was actually Jalen was actually defending Jokic in that Serbia game for All stretches. Right and doing, you know, a decent job. Uh, so Jalen looked really good to me, and, you know, he's a player in a contract year. Uh, he's probably extremely motivated coming into the season based on what happened last year, and, uh, you know, his ability to uh, fill in the role that they that they have for him uh, is obviously key. And I read about this a little while ago, but, you know, the five best players on this team are six, eight or shorter. And I think Brad Stevens will be using that lineup. I would like to see that lineup at least uh, Mm -hmm. during the regular season quite a bit. And I think Jalen is a humongous part of it because he's a guy who can, who can position, who can go up a level on the defensive end and guard up a position. So, or two. So, uh, to see him do that, do that on this stage and get some reps in was definitely a good thing
0: to see. By the way, I feel like I alternate when it, because I don't talk about the guy often. I obviously haven't met him. I feel like I alternate between saying Poirier and Poirier with with this new player they signed from overseas. Is there a consensus on that, just so I don't keep screwing it up one way or the other?
1: Well, being that this is vacation time, I have not dug into the pronunciation yet, but I will get back to you on that.
0: Fair enough. Did you watch him play much? Because, again, I haven't talked about him much. Most people haven't talked about him much. Some articles have been written. There are the you know YouTube highlight reels, be it from his career overseas before this tournament or just overseas play at the World Cup. But in terms of what we can expect or should expect from him to contribute to the Celtics and how he fits in.
1: Uh, to be honest, I've seen very little, and so I don't want to. I, I don't think I have, my
0: expertise on this
1: issue would would do sure. any listeners any good. Uh, <laughs> but I will say that, you know, uh, the the five position right now for the Celtics is very interesting to me, and, and I think that there will be opportunity for uh, any of the guys who are who are quote unquote centers to carve out minutes this year, and it'll be very interesting to see who. I think, you know, I think that Enes Cantor will be uh, starting on opening night, and that'll be his spot to lose. Uh, but, you know, behind him, uh, you know, between uh, Tice and Poirier and, Williams, uh, you know, and yes, and of course, Robert Williams and, you know, even like uh, uh, Chemi Ojolay. Like, the, I mm-hmm. think that, you know, going small at the five is going to definitely be an option and could be the identity of this team. So uh, there will be opportunity at that position, and and uh, it'll be really interesting to see who who
0: earns the minutes. Do you think? And we were asked this on Twitter. If uh, you know, you mentioned Jalen Brown guarding Jokic, and and Brad has experimented. Hell, we've you know we've seen Marcus Smart play center before. Do you think that Brown could actually get not start there, but get some occasional run there?
1: Yeah, I do. Um, in terms of you know, offensively. Probably not. I mean, I think he, his his ability to rebound is going to be, uh, you know, humongous uh, whenever they go small. And I think, you know, his athleticism as a defender, uh, be it, you know, switching and, you know, uh, being a tremendous uh, weak side defender and just, you know, knowing where to be on the health side and potentially, uh, you know, Protecting the rim a little bit, we'll see, uh, because I think that he has the athleticism and the wherewithal to do that. Uh, If he is stronger than he's been in earlier points in his career, that'll be definitely a leg up. But, you know, as you know, watching the NBA the last few years, you know, defending traditional low post guys just isn't really a thing. You know, you have your Joel Embiid's and your Jokic's, and, you know, there's some others out there. But uh, I think that he should be up to the task, and I think that they might need it from him.
0: Gary Washburn was on the show last week and said something I hadn't totally considered, and I'm sure you've thought about it, but that Gordon Hayward should start the year on the bench and potentially spend most of the year there. That that was his feeling. He likes a, a Walker, Smart, Brown, Tatum, Cantor lineup, at least out of the gate. It doesn't impact, you know, what minutes look like. It's not like Hayward's still not going to play his 30-plus his minutes, but the fact that he's coming off with the reserves maybe gets the occasional start, but generally speaking is in the role that he had last year. Do you feel the same way or, or does that, you know, equally catch you off guard?
1: That would not totally shock me, but where we are right now, I would I would think that they want him to be confident. I think confidence is a humongous part of his game and uh consistency as well and that goes to whatever his role is. So he can come off the bench, and he can just the way that he plays and his skill set coming off the bench, running a second unit. Obviously, he is way overqualified for that. I think that Marcus Smart can do the same thing, and so if you have uh, you know a Kemba, Jalen, Tatum, Hayward, Cantor lineup as your starting five, that's very good and very difficult to deal with and guard. And having Marcus kind of inject his you know whatever his just his adrenaline hammer throw uh, off the bench, hmm. uh, I think that that might be the way to go from, this, from the jump and then see where how things progress and see what Gordon's comfort level is. But uh, it's just a little, I don't know, it's not economically ideal to have someone who is earning a max contract come off the bench for you from the jump and spend the whole season there.
0: Well, and if he's, and this is a big if, but, you know, if people are are accurate and what, you know, Brad's confidence, Danny Ainge has is, is talked about having the utmost confidence in, in Gordon's next year, now basically two years removed from that opening night injury when his Celtics career started. If he is anything close to Utah Gordon Hayward, that's not a guy you want coming off your bench. That's a guy that you want in that starting unit giving you 20 points a night.
1: Yeah, that's that's an all-star. So... Uh, that's def- yeah. You want him playing as many minutes as possible, and you want him lined up against the opposing team's starting five. That's just, I mean, that's it. Does not take a rocket scientist to to realize that. I mean, Gordon. A, a lot of Celtics fans have never really seen uh, what he's capable of right. athletically, uh, and just in the role that he had in Utah. And that would be a really fun thing to see, particularly you know besides. Uh, Kemba. Kemba has not, again, Kemba has never really played with someone as good as, as that Gordon Hayward was, and so that would be really fascinating to see, is just the one-two, and then, I mean, this is kind of straying a little bit with my answer, but I, I think that Tatum, I, I have all-star expectations for him this year. And, Likewise. And also, I believe, and yeah, and I believe that, you know, I think that this team, the best iteration of this team is him also being the leading scorer so Hmm. if you have Hayward you know not necessarily with an extremely high usage trying to score you know 23 24 points a night but someone who is uh really capable with the ball in their hands initiating offense making the right play after play after play spacing the floor for guys like Tatum and Kemba I think that that is his role on this team and uh, maybe even being the primary playmaker um and being a little bit more aggressive, particularly on drafts to the basket, getting the free throw line a little bit more, I think that would be ideal for him, but uh but yeah. Um but I, I just I don't think that him coming off the bench equates to the best version of what the Celtics roster can do.
0: Well and I think people we need to remember, like you said, most Celtics fans aren't overly familiar with what Utah Hayward looked like because they weren't staying up and watching Utah games and, and didn't care to even if they were awake, you know. I don't have stats in front of me. Provided I'm not remembering this incorrectly, and I don't think I am. Generally speaking, Hayward, in his prime or or at his best, generally efficient guy. You know, so he's not someone that you're going to want. Uh, nor would he even be the guy that is is going out there and and taking twenty plus shots a game. You know, he's going to live around, especially in this offense with these guys with with Tatum. If if he's anything close to what you and I believe he's going to be, if if Kemba is Kemba and other guys got to eat occasionally, you know, Hayward's a guy that's going to take kind of at most 15, 17 shots a game. Like, that's basically who he is. And then you hope that he's productive and efficient within that as he's historically been. So, you know, I'm with you. That's that's how I see him sliding in again as long as, as those shots are falling, unlike last year.
1: Right, and I think that, you know, just really touching briefly on last season, I think the big difference this year is that everybody knows who the five best guys are and everybody knows who in most matchups should be on the floor in crunch time. Right. And, you know, granted that that's going to be a very small group, but I think it's virtually impossible to, to, to defend them. Um, whereas last year, you know, you had, uh, you know, obviously you had Al Horford who had to be on the floor. You had uh, Marcus Morris, who at times was the most consistent player on the team. He had to be on the floor and that, that type of, uh those troubles, uh, and also, obviously, Kyrie Irving goes without saying. So, I mean, there's only so many minutes for, you know, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward. And you got to mix and match there. And I think that that was, you know, that, 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 that chemical issue right there is kind of what in, in large part led to the struggles of last season. And I don't foresee those being an issue this year.
0: We like to cross-promote here from time to time, especially when it provides new content for us. Seltz coach Brad Stevens actually a guest this week on Jeff Goodman's Good & Plenty podcast. I encourage people to go listen to it. And Jeff asked Brad what he learned last year. Basic question, what did you learn last year? What was your takeaway last year? And, uh, Mike, you got to settle in. We all do, because he had a lot on his mind. Here's what Brad had to
2: say. That was a well-intentioned group that we didn't fit, and, you know, we all... Take great responsibility for that there should be nothing more than collective responsibility the thing that i learned and and it was really good to go back because tactically you say okay what would you do different even from a rotation standpoint what would you do different from a you know how you handle certain situations throughout the season what would you do different and, and some of that stuff yeah there might be a thing or two that sure. stands out but what i really came to is that the reason why it's special to coach where I did at first, Indiana, was because basketball mattered so much. To where I grew up, you know, I grew up living and dying with every IU game, with every Pacers game, with every game in my area. As I moved to Boston, it's probably a little bit more equal for all the sports, right? You know, there's huge hockey people, sure. there's huge football, huge ba- baseball, maybe basketball at times has even been Maybe fourth out of four, but it's also been first, right? That's right. They rotate, but but the but the deal is there's a pride about our professional sports teams, and so the thing that I took with me and just kind of you know that that has really driven me all summer, you know teams that compete with togetherness and unreal effort, our fans really appreciate, and I just want to make sure that we can you know we can be a team that our fans love, and that's that's what I've tried to focus on our whole summer. Like take all the other goals out of it take all the other stuff out of it, you know, because I appreciate, you you've know, we appreciate you've always, yeah, every team you've and coached. We, and we appreciate that responsibility. And I do think like, even though last year didn't go as well as we would have liked, I think we've learned a lot. We can move forward from that. It's really important to me. And I think that that's what, you know, everybody confuses tradition. Your culture is always moving. It's who's in the room. It's what's happening around you. It's all that. But the tradition is proof that it can be done. But sometimes I think we get so caught up in that banner thing that we need to take a step back and say that the big purpose here is to make sure that we are doing everything we can to represent our, ourselves well and our region well and our city well. And I felt that responsibility at Butler in Indianapolis, and you feel that here. I mean, when you put on a Celtics uniform, you feel that. And that's I think that's a good pressure. So, Michael, I want your takeaway from that, but first I'm going to give
0: you mine. Brad is way more embarrassed by last year's outcome and how everything played out, probably behind the scenes, but definitely with what fans and all of us watched than I think we ever realized. Uh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: that's I'm I'm just processing that in real time right now. Yeah. And uh I mean last year was you know, basketball was very rarely the topic of conversation. And for the first time, I think, since Brad has been the head coach, you know, there was a lot of, uh, you know, the rumor mill about what's going on in the locker room, who hates who, what is, who's in which clique, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I'm sure that he was aware of it at, at, at a certain degree. And um, that stuff was pretty suffocating, I think, for. Uh, I mean, he had to have been aware of it because he was around it every day and he had to coach through it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that must have been really difficult. I'm sure, you know, that there was, uh, you know, people were jealous of, of minutes. People did not understand his decisions with rotations, particularly with, I think Gordon was a flashpoint for this. Um and, uh, you know, giving him a longer leash than he may have given other players, or at least that is what those other players believed. Um, so, you know, you know, going from, uh, you know, shoving matches on the bench to, uh, you know, Terry Rogier's comments shortly after the season ended, uh, it was kind of just a circus. And that's a, really disappointing because this team – heading into the season was, you know, expected to go to the NBA Finals. So, you know, to do that, to from, from to go from there to a second round loss in one of the most embarrassing fashions that I can recall is just such a huge letdown.
0: Well, and just the fact that, you know, he talked about it, he related it back to his personal experience and growing up and coaching in Indiana, but it's just not, that was not, A prideful group last year in in any way shape or form it it just it didn't you know there was the lack of accountability there was as you said all the finger pointing and they just didn't seem collectively to care ultimately how things played out and I, I think Kyrie Irving who of course is gone now and and gets pointed at or identified as as the biggest problem on that team and and while he may have been he was far from the only problem he was really the picture of, I think, the antithesis of everything that Brad just talked about when he went up on the podium after that Milwaukee elimination and more or less said he didn't care that that they were ousted. I don't remember exactly what the quote was, but that was the general message. You know, it was, eh, you know, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't like some of these other guys, crying, walking off the court, you know, uh, emotional, like Giannis or Joel Embiid. It was just well, it happens, and maybe that was a guy who's won a championship and he's been there and didn't happen this year. Maybe it was because he he just he was already checked out on Boston, and he, great, I'm free, I can't wait to get out of here, or any combination of things. But, you know, you listen to Brad answer such a basic question for two and a half minutes and relate it back the way he did talking about culture. I think it really speaks volumes with how he felt about last year's group.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, it's no – it's no coincidence that you just look at the pers- the personalities of some of the guys that they brought in from last season. So you know, Ennis Kanter, one of the best culture guys in the league. Honestly, like everywhere he goes, people love him until they don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have Kemba Walker, who I just said. Now, obviously, you get Kemba not because he's just he's a terrific teammate, but you get him because he was third team All NBA, and you need a new all NBA point guards are replace The one who just left town. Um, but I think in the draft really stood out to me, it was, you know, bringing someone like Grant Williams in who he just seems like, you know, his, he, he, he understands why he's there and why he's there is to bring people together, to make people feel good about themselves mm-hmm. to prop everyone else up at his own expense. Be it at, at, you know, in the locker room, like, I think that getting someone like that from a just a personality standpoint really speaks volumes versus what type of personalities might have been uh, on the
0: team last year. Totally agree with that, and, and I'm well on record for loving everything that, that is Grant Williams, and, and we could go on and on about him. I do want to wrap with one more thing from Brad. This one's much shorter, but... Uh, It just concerns team expectations, how high they were last year. You talked about it, the expectation from everybody around the NBA community to reach the East Finals for that club and and, and NBA Finals and maybe win a championship, although Golden State was always the favorite, and now the expectations are obviously a lot lower this year after all that offseason turnover. I don't ever look at it
2: that way. If we can be the best we can be every day, everything else will take care of itself. Then we'll have a chance to maximize ourselves, and that's it. You know, I've been fortunate in that. I think this is my thirteenth year, and in twelve of them, um, we've had more, a lot more good. I mean, it's been an unbelievably like lucky run. But at the same time, you're always brought back to like, why do you do it? And the purpose for me is is that I got into it because I want to be a part of a team and I want to compete. And I think that that's what this this city appreciates and and again that's the expectation for me like all the other stuff people can talk about that's not my getting the my most business. out of
0: out of this team you
2: can possibly and that's get. what you should do every year right. that should be right. it that should be it
0: so everything that brad just said is is i i firmly believe is a thousand percent true so i'm not questioning any of that or or his motivation in saying it but i do think there's also an element of You know, not just talking to the media, but talking through the media. And if that in any way is a message to his team and many of the guys who were here last year, you know, there was a lot of turnover, but there are plenty of returning players. I think it's just, hey, guys, listen, ignore the freaking noise this time around. Just come in as you've done in past years. Do you, be you, listen to me, and we're going to be fine. I think one of
1: the more interesting things is that, You know, Brad Stevens coach teams typically do not enter seasons with high expectations. Their identity throughout the year and by the end of the year is they are great overachievers. And And incredibly hardworking. Right, right, for sure. And last year was really the first time maybe in his coaching career. I'm not too familiar with, uh, you know, his early days at Butler and beforehand, but, you know, Last year was the first year where you know they came in and there was this, this humongous target on their back uh, and everyone expected them to kind of waltz to the finals off, off of the uh, Eastern Conference Finals appearance that they had the previous year without Kyrie or Gordon Hayward. But you enter this season where no one is talking about the Boston Celtics as a team that is uh, likely to reach the finals. Uh, you know, the Philadelphia 76ers and Milwaukee Bucks are head and shoulders above them in a lot of different ways on a talent perspective, just on an experience and a cohesion perspective. And so uh, I think that this is kind of a back-to-basics year, and those types of seasons have really borne well for for, for, for teams that have been coached by Brad Stevens and to embrace the underdog role, which I think this team rightfully can do despite, you know, the payroll and despite the names that are on the roster. And there is ridiculous talent on this team still. But if they can buy in on that perspective, I, I really think that this team could, could make some
0: noise late into the year. So that being said, before I let you go, as you think about it right now, and it's mid-September, what are your expectations for this team?
1: I don't really see a team that is uh, head and shoulders above them for the third seed in the Eastern Conference. I think that you know getting home court for the playoffs should be a goal, and then kind of see where you go from there. But again, just on a talent perspective, the fact that there's really no uh, there's no boogeyman right now in the NBA. And you know I don't want to say that the title is up for grabs, but there's a lot of teams that are going to head into training camp with the belief that they can win the championship. And I think that you that the Celtics, based on you know what they have, what trade assets they still have, and what moves can still be made to improve them throughout the season,
0: uh, I think that they should be in that club. Michael Pino. Of course, covers the NBA for SB Nation, and you can always catch him as part of the CLNS Media family on the Winning Plays podcast with other good pals of ours, Brian Robb, who was on a few weeks ago, and Rich Levine as well. Mike's was a lot of fun. I appreciate you taking the time. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Anytime. That was great. A lot of great conversation, and uh, thanks to Evan Valenti, who is not only the producer of this podcast, but he also produces the Jeff Goodman Good & Plenty podcast, so thanks to him for Sending that audio along so that we could have it, because I I think there really was some revealing stuff there from Brad Stevens that clearly we hit on. But uh, I'll be curious, the more of these conversations he has as we get closer to the season, I think the more that's going to even subtly come out, as was the case with some of that stuff that we listened to. You know, Brad is, is not short. He's not Bill Belichick in that way, but he's not normally quite as Long-winded and and loquacious as he was there with Jeff in those answers, and uh, you know some of that is that it's the podcast form and not standing up in front of the media, and you know you know that there's just a, a line of people asking you questions, and it's it's naturally just a, a different environment. But I do think that was pretty interesting a lot of the stuff that we heard there from brad but we're going to get out of here hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend the show brought to you by betonline.ag thanks again to mike to evan to nick larry john everybody else at clns media and of course you as always get me on twitter at adam m kaufman subscribe to the show on itunes on stitcher subscribe to the clns youtube page shows are posted there as well everywhere leave us ratings reviews all that stuff we appreciate it and it does believe it or not make a big difference gino get us out of here